0: of 1983, and it was out of most movie theaters before Christmas, because it bombed. Yeah, I can't. that amazed me as well. Although, although apparently at the time, Roger Ebert, the movie critic, Roger Ebert at the time, he put it on his list of great movies, but apparently the general public didn't share his opinion. Ebert said at that time, Christmas movies weren't that popular, and that was what the problem was. But it came and it went and that was it. And really what, what has made a Christmas story so prominent is when, and if you remember this, videos of it came out. Come on, some of you are old enough to remember videos, right? So videos of it came out. And then, of course, the big thing is that TBS and TNT for years now have run 24 hours of a Christmas story every year, from Christmas Eve right through to Christmas Day, the most holy Christmas viewing there is. And that's the thing that's really boosted its significance and its popularities. And and if you've never seen it, if you've never seen it, you won't understand why I'm going to say what I'm going to say now, but I'm going to say it. If you've never seen it, I triple dog dare you to watch the movie. I, uh, I asked the question on Facebook a few weeks ago, I said, hey, what was the one Christmas gift that you were really desperate for uh, at some point? And it was interesting um, because there were two that came out as the most frequently mentioned. And that was an easy bake oven <laughs> and a Cabbage Patch doll. Right, and that was just the men's answers. So, <laughs> no, those came, those came out uh, most frequently as, as the things that, that, that people were looking for. And, of course, the heart of the movie, A Christmas Story, is this, is this boy called Ralphie Parker. And Ralphie is desperate for one particular thing for Christmas. Check out this clip from the movie. <laughs>
1: Higbee's corner window was traditionally a high-water mark of the pre-Christmas season. First-nighters packed earmuff to earmuff, jostled in wonderment before a golden, tinkling display of mechanized, electronic joy. The the Red Rider, 200-shot range model air rifle. And there he is, Red Rider himself. In his hand was the knurled stock of as coolly deadly-looking a piece of weaponry as ever I had laid eyes on. weeks, I had been scheming to get my mitts on one of these fearsome blue steel beauties. My fevered brain seethed with the effort of trying to come up with the infinitely subtle devices necessary to implant the Red Rider range model air rifle indelibly into my parent's subconscious. The
0: Holy Grail of Christmas gifts. That was it. That was it. As soon as he saw it in the toy store window, there was only one thing that he wanted for Christmas, the Red Rider, carbine action, 200-shot, range model, air rifle. There it is. In all of its glory. I didn't take it out of the box. God I didn't want to freak some of you out. But uh, there we go. That was the one thing that he wanted. That, that's Wayland's Christmas. Uh, <laughs> it's my great-grandson who's not two years old yet. But I'm just kidding, folks. Just kidding. All right? But that was the thing. That was, that, was, that was what Ralphie saw and what he was fantasizing about. And the whole movie is about the fact he is fixated on the one thing that he really Really wants. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's after. So, how do you get a sermon out of a Christmas story? Oh, that's dead easy. It's really easy. I'm a highly trained professional. No, it's very easy. Here you go. Ralphie was a kid who lived that part of his life with one total focus. He lived with a passion that absorbed him, and that was he wanted the Red Rider. And you know what? That reminds every one of us that we've got this one life that God has lived us and we need to live your life with passion and with purpose. Don't let's wander aimlessly through life and don't let's get caught up with things that are incidental. Let's find where we want to go. Find what we want to invest in and really make that our passion. The great theologian John Bon Jovi said this once. (laughs) He said, nothing is as important as passion. No matter what you want to do in your life, be passionate. Not about what we're gonna have for Christmas anymore, but about what matters in life. In his book, No Easy Way: The Mission That Killed Osama Bin Laden, the author, Mark Owen, writes this. He says, "Don't just live, but live for a purpose bigger than yourself. Live for a purpose bigger than yourself." On the on the on the uh, evening before Jesus was going to be crucified, as the events were all now coming together. Here's here's what he said, John 12, verse 27. He said, right now, I am storm-tossed. And what am I going to say? Father, get me out of this? No. This is why I came in the first place. Jesus came to earth with a purpose. He was committed to that purpose. He was consumed by that purpose. He lived for that purpose, and he died for that purpose. In fact, 600 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, um, there's, there's an amazing chapter in the book of Isaiah, uh, and chapter 50, where, where the prophet is writing and what he is saying, if you read through the early part of chapter 50, is he basically is describing the suffering of Christ. And knowing what we now know about the story of the death of Christ, we see that it's like, wow, it's like he was describing it 600 years before. And here's what what Isaiah says in verse 6, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Jesus was committed. In fact, here's what, it, here's, here's what it says in verse 7 of that chapter. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. So the idea there is, is Isaiah's prophetically, these words prophetically spoken uh, as Jesus might have spoken them, and here's, here's his approach to his suffering. I've set my face like flint, like, like the, hardest, the hardest stone. It's like, this is what I'm going to do. I am not going to flinch. This is the direction that I am going to take, and this is what the plan has been for me. And here's what I want to just remind you of here this Sunday morning. Our passion needs to be to live for the one whose passion was to die for us. Our passion needs to be to live for the one whose passion was to die for us. There are a lot of voices out there that will remind us that we need to live a balanced life. They are generally the voices of very boring people. But you hear it all over the place. You know what? You've got to find balance in life, and you've got to live a balanced life. And I'm sure they're well-meaning, but they're wrong. A balanced life is a boring life. And since we only pass this way once, far better that we devote our energies to the things that wake us up every morning and put a spring in our step than we do to try to please everybody around us who wants to guide us. Jesus gave us very clear purpose. Every single one of us here today who's a follower of Christ, Jesus gave us very clear purpose. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will be my witnesses. That's it. I'll leave it there. You will be my witnesses. No, I won't. I'll go further. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Bottom line, wherever you are, you are going to be my witnesses. We're going to show Jesus. We're going to share Jesus. I'm not talking about being a preacher now, okay? Though who knows for some of you what God's got in store. I'm not saying you need to be talking about Christ every moment of every day to everybody you meet. People who do that sometimes turn others off. I'm saying we need to show Jesus, and the way we show Jesus is the way we live and it's the way we love. That's how we show Jesus. And we need to be passionate about doing that in whatever ways it might work out, however it might be. Parenting, we show, we share Jesus. We've got a chance, we've got an opportunity which lasts a very short period of time to make and to mold the lives that God entrusts to us as parents or wherever that might work out in your, in, in your, in your daily life, whether it's, whether it's the work that you do or the volunteering you do, whether it's in helping others, whether it's doing things to fight social injustice, live your life with passion, and our passion needs to be to show Jesus and to share Jesus. In Romans chapter 12 and, and, and verse 2, it says this. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Now, here's God's plan. God's plan is that the world around us doesn't shape us, but that we shape the world around us. That's the idea. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. We live in a crazy world. We live in a bizarre world. We live in a different world than I grew up in and many of you grew up in. Dear Lord, if you're more than 10 years old, we live in a different world than you grew up in. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. God's plan for us is that we are people who influence the world we live in and we are the ones who implement the change and we actually help people to find a place in life that is a place of peace, a place of faith and a place of belonging and a place of fulfillment. Live with a passion. In 2006 Steve Jobs spoke at the um, he gave the commencement address at Stanford University and among other things he said this your time is limited so don't waste it living someone else's life live your life here's something else he said he said have the courage to follow your heart and your t- intuition they somehow already know what you want to become they know now, I said, that doesn't mean everybody's going to become preachers, but hey, who knows what God's plan is for some of the lives around here. I was a teenager when I started preaching, early teens when I started preaching. We lived in a small brownstone. There were seven of us, my mother and father, five siblings. It was a small one, three small bedrooms, no bathroom. Don't ask how or why, but you know what? We grew up in that, and we did pretty good, and we stayed clean as well. But anyway, there you go, all right? But that was, that was, that was, that was the deal. But um, so we shared bedrooms, you know? So um, one of the things, you know, when, when I, I became a Christian just before my 12th birthday, and one of the things that I, I was taught to do and became so important to me was to just spend some time alone with the Lord every day. But it's tough to do that when you're all crammed into a little house and you're even sharing a bedroom. So what I would do some mornings is I would I would get up pretty early and I would leave the house and I would go just probably half a mile less from our house. You could be by, by the river in this big open park area. It was absolutely beautiful. And, and I'd go down there some mornings, and there was a tree with a branch, a big branch that stuck out from it low down, and I could, I could sit up there. I wasn't into climbing trees even at that age, but I could, I could sit, and I'd sit there in this big branch, and I'd look at the river, and I took with me a little green New Testament, and I'd sit there, and I'd read the Bible, and I'd see what it was saying to me, and I'd just think and pray. And there was one morning that I, I, I remember this. I remember opening my Bible, and I was reading through First Corinthians. And I'm reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I, there was a verse came up that I had never seen before. First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, and he, here's what it is. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now, that's taken from the New International Version, which was the version of that we used was 2011. I'm not talking about 2011. I'm talking about the mid-1960s. We didn't have the NIV. We read the real Bible, the King James Version right? And as I was reading from the King James Version that particular morning, here's here's what it says in the King James Version. It says, necessity is laid upon me to preach the gospel. Yea, woe is unto me. That's great King James, isn't it? Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And that morning, that hit me so much, and I got this clear impression, what God wants me to do is God wants me to preach the gospel. And I was, only, you know, I was only about 16 years old. But here's what, I had no idea what that meant or how it worked out or whatever else. My, you know, I still had to get through high school and graduate. You know what I mean? I had no idea what the ramifications were. But that became something that became a focus for me. I, that became my passion And from that day, in fact, before that day, and I can stand here today and tell you this, all of my life, I've wanted to lead people to Jesus. That's my passion. That's my passion. That's what I want. That's what I want to do. Somebody said to me the other day, why why aren't we doing Christmas Eve service? Aren't we compromising? And it's, no, we're not compromising. We're accommodating because this Christmas season, I I want to see people come to Jesus. And you know what? People who don't know the Lord yet, people who are unchurched at the moment, they're going to be doing stuff Christmas Eve. And they're not going to come to church. So let's make it easy for the unchurched to come to church. Are you good with that? All right? Let's make it easy. We're not diluting anything. What we're actually doing is what the Apostle Paul said when he said, I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some, right? And that's the whole thing. All of my life I've wanted to lead people to Jesus. You know what my main goal is this Sunday morning? My main goal today is there might be at least one person who really connects with Christ in a life-changing, eternity-changing way and steps into a walk with Jesus which will transform them. That's what we're all about. That's what we are passionate about. Long before I ever read these words, I started to live By this mantra, find and use your passion and you'll have a great career. You know what I'm doing this morning? I am using my passion. And my passion is not to be a preacher. My passion is to influence people to get closer to Jesus. And I want to encourage you, live with a passion. That might not mean you're going to be a preacher, but I want to say, and I'm going to talk especially... Some of you younger people, some of you teenagers, I hope you heard me say I was 16. I hope, I hope you heard me say that because I want to tell you, I want to tell you this. You know, you know what? There is a generation that God wants to raise up who will actually carry on the mission and the purpose long after many of us are in heaven. And you may well be sitting here this morning as a teenager and the reality is God has got a role for you, a significant role for you in your future. Don't just let it go by. Don't just ignore it. Uh, if the thought comes to your mind, start to nourish it. See where it might go. But here's the thing for every one of us today. Our mission, our passion needs to be I want to live as a witness for Jesus. That means tomorrow morning when you walk back into work. Again, it's like here we go, let's see what's gonna happen today. Recognize the fact you are in that location as a witness for Jesus. There might be God-given opportunities uh, tomorrow that, 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 that will actually help others come closer to the Lord. And I don't mean you gotta preach about it or even talk about it, but I'm saying if you will show and if you will share the love of Jesus, who knows what God will do? Live with a passion. And our passion needs to be to make a difference, to mold this world and not let this world mold us. Dear Lord. And all that came from this. Ralphie was passionate. It was like, that's what I want, and that's what I'm focused on, and nothing else will satisfy me. And let's get that way about our commitment to Jesus and about our love for people who need Jesus. And then, so if living with passion is an important starting point, let let me say this. Here's something we learned from Ralphie as well. Don't let doubters discourage you. Don't let doubters discourage you. Time for a movie clip again.
1: What would you like for Christmas? Horrified. I heard myself blurted out. I want an official Red River carbon action 200-year you while i arrive? Ooh, no. Shoot your eye out. Oh, no. It was the classic mother BB gun block. <laughs> You'll shoot your eye out. That deadly phrase uttered many times before by hundreds of mothers was not surmountable by any means known to kiddom. But such was my mania, my desire for a Red Rider Carbine, that I immediately began to rebuild the dyke. <laughs> I was just kidding. Even though Flick is getting one. I guess I'd just like some Tinker Toys. I couldn't believe my own ears. Tinker Toys? she never buy it. DB guns are dangerous. I don't want anybody shooting his eye out.
0: You'll shoot your eye out, kid. So, so, warning, it says. For ages 10 years or older, not a toy, adult supervision required. Misuse or careless use may cause serious injury. Particularly to the eye. <laughs> <laughs> you shoot your eye out, kid. <laughs> yeah, you know, as soon as he dared to say it, blurted it out there to his mother, her response was immediate. And, and uh, you, you remember, those of you who know the story, that they were asked to write an essay at school, right? about Christmas, and and, and Ralphie had no problem whatever. He wrote about what he wanted, and then in his mind, he was fantasizing about how the teacher thought his essay was absolutely brilliant, gave him a top grade for it. But in reality, the teacher calls him up, shows him his paper, he got a fail for it, and the teacher says, you'll shoot your eye out. Yeah. You'll shoot your eye out. That's, That's about what he got. You know, there's a, there's a fascinating um, couple of events in, in chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel. It's Jesus with his disciples, and he asks them this question. He says, so what are people saying about me? Now, it wasn't that Jesus was insecure and wanted to hear good stuff. But, but he was interested in, in where people were coming from, and he was actually more finding a way, I think, to the next question he was going to ask. But he asked that question first, who do people say that I am? And they came back and said, so, oh, some say you're like Elijah, and some say you're like this one and that one. And then the second question was this, Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter came back straight away with this answer, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, you are blessed. Because you didn't get this from anybody. You were shown that direct from heaven. So, here's Peter now, the man. Right? He got that one right. And then it says this, immediately following that, it says this in verse 21. Then Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. Submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders, be killed, and then on the third day be raised up alive. Peter told him, sorry, Peter took him in hand, protesting, impossible, master, that can never be. Darn, he just did so well, and now he totally messed it up. Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. And Peter says, no, that could never happen to you. That's not the plan for you. Hey, even Jesus had people who tried to discourage him. And there will always be people in life who will try to discourage you. Let me just tell you this, people who don't feel your passion won't understand it either but that's okay. Don't let them extinguish your fire. People who don't get it like you've got it won't get it. Did you get that? That was really philosophical, right? (laughs) Did you get that? But if if they don't share the passion, they won't understand your passion, but don't let them put your fire out, whatever you do. Lord, you know, we we need to listen to the encouragers, and we need to be encouragers of others as well who are passionate about their love for Jesus. There's a fascinating story in the Old Testament in in 1 Samuel chapter 14. It's, you you know, the constant stage of war that the people of Israel were in with other nations and tribes, and the the Philistines were the main kind of uh, strong nation and oppressors of Israel at this particular time, and they had set up a garrison not far from the Israelis' camp. And, and, and there's, there's this fabulous event in, in 1 Samuel 16, uh, when it says this in verse, in verse 6, it says, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on now, let's go across to these uncircumcised pagans. Maybe God will work for us. There's no rule that says God can only deliver by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving when He sets His mind on it. His armor bearer said, go ahead, do what you think is best. I'm with you all the way. I, look, just look at that verse for a minute. Let me just highlight a couple of things. Because you just read and think, oh, that's great. So they went off. No, okay, two people, right? Jonathan, his armor bearer. So the armor bearer was not a soldier. It was like a caddy on a golf course, right? That's what he did. He carried the stuff. So Jonathan says to his armor bearer, hey, i got an idea. Let's go up and fight the Philistine garrison. Because there's no rules that says you've got to have a big army to do it. Yes, there are. (laughs) Yes, there are. It's called basic intelligence. (laughs) So he said, we we don't have to have a crowd. And he said, let's let's go up and let's do it. And he said, and, and this is an incredible phrase, he says, maybe God will work for us. You know what the flip side of that is? Maybe he won't. So he says, let's go do it. Let's give it a shot. Let's give it a try. Let's see if this works. Now, if you two guys want to go up and take on a whole, a whole, a whole part of the, the, the army of the strongest nation that there is at that time, you want something more than, uh, hey, this may work. But here's what the armor bearer said, right? He said, go ahead, do what you think best. I'm with you all the way be somebody who says to others, I'm with you all the way. I'm with you all the way. You mightn't understand it, you mightn't get it, but I am with you all the way. When, when I was a, a senior in high school, I got a message one day, the principal wanted to see me. I was not a stranger to his office. <laughs> I know that surprises you, but… Um, I was not a stranger. So you, you know it's the principal, you need to go to the principal's office. And I'm like, oh Lord, what have I done? Right? And and that that day I couldn't work out because my 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 conscience was pretty clear. So I walked in, I I, I walked in his office. He said, Blackmore, that's how we did things back then. Blackmore, sit down. Now I thought that was an improvement, actually. If he invited me to sit, we were on. So then he said, uh, he pointed to a paper on his desk and said, What's this? He was the other side of this huge desk. How do I know what it is? But you don't say that to the principal, right? So I said, um, I'm not sure what that is, sir. Could I have a closer look? So he pushes it across the desk, and, and it's a paper from the Bible college I had applied to asking him for a reference. So they'd ask for a couple of references. I don't know what to do. I put my pastor. I put, I put my principal. So uh, I said, oh, that's from the the Bible college I'm going to, sir. And he said, Blackmore, I want you to know I am not going to complete this, and I'm not going to recommend it, because you are wasting your life. He said, you should be going to a university and using your brain for something else. And, 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 and that was it, you know. And, and I'm going to tell you, if you're a high schooler and your principal says that, it does make you think. It does make you think. Because I had actually completed a whole application form a few weeks earlier um, to, to actually go to the London School of Oriental and African Studies and study Chinese and Far Eastern History. Because that was different. And I like doing things different, right? I didn't want to do boring subjects, so that's what I thought I was. But, but I had that, but, but I was still torn because necessity is laid upon me to preach the gospel. Woe is unto me. But I'm a kid, and my principal says, you're wasting your life. But I want to tell you this. I thank God for the encouragers that I had around me who said, you go with what you feel God wants you to do. And you make sure that you pursue that course. There will always be discouragers. Don't let people discourage you. Heck, you you know Ralphie in the movie. He 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 even went to the big guy, right? Santa Claus, right? Right, some of you, some of you remember perhaps that bit. So remember the Santa Claus thing, the traumatic experience he had with Santa there in Higby's department store, and 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 you know he's he's kind of uh, dumbstruck when Santa says, "What do you want?" He can't talk, so he ends up saying, you know, "You know, would you like a football?" "Yeah, I'll have a football." And then he says, "Get out of here, kid." And 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 then he kind of starts to push him down the chute, and Ralphie stops himself, and 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 he looks back up, and 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 he shouts out, he shouts out to Santa, "No, no, no." no, 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 I want a Red Ryder, Ryder, carbine action, 200 shot, range model, air rifle. And Santa, you saw this in the intro, Santa kind of pushes him down and says, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. (laughs) Sometimes you might think that God's not opening up the way for you. But often God's inaction means not yet. Doesn't mean no. Doesn't mean no. Which leads me to my third final point. Pursue your goals patiently. Pursue your goals patiently. Now those of you that know the movie, those of you who who haven't seen it, those of you you, those of you who haven't who feels a stupid movie, I I hope you repent and get saved at the end of my message. (laughs) and you'll see it. But if you've, never, if you've never seen it, I don't want to totally spoil it for you, but, but on Christmas Day, right, they're, they're giving out all the gifts, and, and, and Ralphie gets the, 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 the sleeper set thing from his aunt. Remember that? I, 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 like, I, I cried laughing the first time I saw that. I still think it's probably the most hilarious part of the movie but it could have scarred the kid for life, but it's only, it's only a story, it's okay. But, but that story where he's got the, the, the pink bunny suit on, that part of it is, is hilarious. But that's not how Christmas Day ends for Ralphie. Just take a look at this bit.
1: Want Yeah. No, you don't. Oh. Did you have a nice Christmas? Yeah, pretty nice. Yeah, did you get everything you wanted? Oh, almost. <laughs> almost, huh? Well, that's, that's, that's life. Well, there's always next Christmas. Yeah. Mm. Hey, that's funny. What's that over there behind the desk? Where? Oh, behind the desk, against the wall over there. Why don't you go check it out? Come on. I even tell him Santa Claus probably won't. <laughs> you yeah. outside. Oh, I still say those things are dangerous. Not up. Put on your galoshes and your coat. It's cold out.
0: So how Christmas morning should end for every child, right? And tying it back in now, pulling back into the Christmas story. In Galatians 4 and verse 4, it says this, But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent His Son, born among us of a woman. When the time came, the time came that had been set by God the Father. I want to encourage you this morning, living with a passion, but do it with patience too. Because God's timing isn't, I was going to say God's timing isn't always our time. God's timing is hardly ever our timing. Let's tell the truth, right? Is that a fair statement? But how many of you have lived long enough to find that actually God's timing worked out to be the best? Yeah, yeah. Turns out he knows a few things, right? Right? And if you're here this Sunday morning, and and you know what, some, some of your goals in life and some of the things you'd love to see happen, some of the things you think are godly desires He's placed within you haven't happened yet. Here's what it says in the book of Habakkuk in chapter 2 and verse 3. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. And it doesn't lie. Here's the bit. If it seems slow in coming, wait. Now, some of you didn't want to hear that this morning, did you? But whatever you do, don't give up. If it's slow in coming, wait. And here's the next thing. It's on its way. It's on its way. It will come right on time. Be patient as you pursue Your passion, because God's purpose for your life and the God given passion that He's dropped within your heart are really the most important things that you could focus on in the whole of your life. The secret to a life that is satisfying is living with passion and fulfilling God's purpose. Here's how the day ended for Ralphie.
1: Next to me in the blackness lay my oiled blue steel beauty, the greatest Christmas gift I had ever received or would ever receive. Gradually I drifted off to sleep, pranging ducks on the wing and getting off spectacular hip shots
0: and there it was and when our life's day comes to the end let's make sure we look back with contentment and satisfaction because we lived our lives for what really, really matters, let's pray together